We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15%. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way. And I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 164 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, the always popular, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the world's 147th most dangerous man, Marty Foster. How are you, Marty? <laughs> I'm flattered and patronized at the same time. How are you guys? I'm healthy and alive here. It's good to hear. That's good to hear. Marty, I wondered, are you um, are you recovering from your busy day today at the uh, the coronation? Coronation. Um, yeah, we. No, no, I'm not recovering because it wasn't really a busy day. I, I didn't pay any real attention is is the honest answer. You know, there was a time when I could blast out the national anthem with pride and maybe one day in the future I I might do that again, but certainly not with this absolute fequit um, as my monarch, no. I saw this uh, this advert. This was uh, this was something that was being posted in the Daily Mail, the Telegraph, the Sun, the Express, and GB News. These are your own uh, Coronation 2023 uh, bend the knee peasant pads that you could get. Well, they're very patriotic. You know, you've got the Union flag there on each knee, and I can't get my knees to do that anyway because they're made from titanium and plastic. So they'd be no good to me. Um, yeah, uh, I, I think the whole bend the knee thing, th this is, this is probably the end of the, the, the British monarchy, I'm afraid to say, because they've always said in the past when the monarchy gets closer and more understood by the people, um, that's usually when it collapses. And now this monarchy is truly understood by the people that they are self-serving fakes basically the the last one that properly served this country unfortunately passed away very recently so um no i i don't think i'll be needing a pair of those knee pads someone asked me a question the other day and i said that i would ask you and i guess the best way to do that is to have you directly answer it as opposed to me relaying the answer back to somebody you as a as a uk citizen you could answer this obviously if someone doesn't kneel this is the question i'm supposed to ask you if someone doesn't kneel is that against the law uh no no it's not you may find yourself ushered away by security you may find yourself removed from the event but you certainly wouldn't face any charges the only people who are probably going to be wearing those knee pads are the anywhere between 15,000 in one estimate to 30,000 police officers that will be providing security in London for the uh, for the coronation. I have here a, uh, a fine upstanding Englishman who um, he got out of the hospital just so he could be there. Uh, he was he was being interviewed by uh, one of your uh, your television channels down there. And of course, there was also an American woman there. I, I'm sorry to, to say she was 
asking a cardboard cutout of the queen if she was happy with her son taking over. But anyway, I'll just let the video speak for itself. So I couldn't be here. I should have been here earlier, but purely the hospital scenario meant it was impossible. And it's important that I'm here to get a good view of the procession because, as I'm sure you're aware, they will close all of this off, as they did for the Jubilee, and we will not get to see much except for the passing through when the gates open. And for the balcony walk around, we will be in a mad rush to get down to BP. I think King Charles will be a fantastic king. I think he will do a great job. He's got some really strong values. And likewise, I've noticed that Lady Camilla has really fallen into the role very well. Because we love her. And she <laughs> wants her boy to do this, so we are going to support her. Uh, I hope he'll be good. What do you think, Queenie? Um, yeah. I don't know. She's smiling, so I don't know. Maybe she thinks he's going to be good, but but we're just hoping he's going to be good. But we can't wait. We're going to come back in 20 years for her grandson. <gasps> you want William? Is that who you really want? No. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. who we're coming back for. In 20 years, we'll be here. We'll- yeah, I can't so, take any more either. I, I can't do no, it. No, for, for the benefit of our listeners, because I think we do have more than one now, the gentleman was from the northeast of England, and he was wearing a Union Jack suit with a Union Jack tie. That actually is an offence. Believe it or not, that is a an offence punishable by law. It's a form of what they call in Latin, laissez majesty, as in, you know, basically... Um, an insult to the monarch or to the country in fact he's got red hair a very white face and a blue beard so i imagine the hospital that he was in was in fact a mental hospital and somewhere off camera there there's two hefty psychiatric nurses ready if his meds wear off i was now, thinking the same the, thing yeah yeah now the 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 american lady talking to a cardboard cutout of the Queen, which when you consider it wasn't that long ago she died and she reigned uh, and and was a, a good example of a monarch for so many years, that to me is a big insult. I think she should take her American backside, get on a plane and foxtrot Oscar. You get no argument from me. I, actually, I, I there is an argument. Uh, I don't want her back here. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad she's yours. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. But this is the thing. Talking of people crossing borders, as we often do, you know we've got the problem with the illegal immigrants, most of which are Albanian fighting age men, basically coming across the channel, ditching their passports, some claiming asylum, but most of, of which are just disappearing into the black economy, hand car washes, drug gangs, and so on. I was working out the numbers that they were quoting, and I was thinking, well, we're going to have to build a new town, a new small town virtually every year just to accommodate the 50, 60,000 or so illegal immigrants that are coming into the UK. But then the latest figures from the ONS came out about excess deaths just a few days ago. And in the week, I'm talking seven days leading up to the 21st of April in the UK, there were somewhere in the region of 2,500 excess deaths compared with the previous year and the previous year before COVID. So actually, we, we, we might have room for all those illegal immigrants as it happens because we're losing about 130,000 people a year over and above what we would normally lose. So, you know, the jury's out, so to speak, as to whether or not we need all these illegal fighting age criminal gang members from Albania in the country because, you know, we're going to need to keep our our population growth up. I think we can handle that just fine on our own. Thanks. We don't need help from any other 
nation outside of uh, outside of our own. I, I don't believe we we need that. Now, to your point there about uh, about excess deaths, Marty, it's just a it's a baseless conspiracy theory. I hear you uh, hear you spouting there. That's that's all that is. Every single uh, member of parliament that's brought to you by Pfizer will tell you exactly the same thing. Same thing in the U.S. Every single <clears throat> news presenter brought to you by Pfizer will tell you the same thing, that it's just a baseless conspiracy theory. In fact, we were going over some tweets before we started of someone who had a, a spouse that met an untimely demise, something similar to the same way, as well as an Olympic sprinter at the age of 32 years old, gone, just gone. Well, the BBC which we've talked at nauseum here about. You've brought up many times about uh, the propaganda campaigns that they run, and I cannot say that I disagree with that one bit. That's not to say that our news media in any of our respective countries are any better, not by any stretch. However, this piece was put out on BBC Newsnight just the other day, talking about how it's all baseless conspiracy theories. Late last year, Trisha's husband came home from a day's work as a maintenance man in their housing complex, collapsed on the carpet and died of a sudden and unexpected heart attack. I've known him since seventh grade. Our life went separate ways, but we met back up just as we were both going through divorces in 2015. And uh, we got married in 2021. And then he died a year, four months later. It was an everyday tragedy. A man in his 40s with high blood pressure and a pre-existing health condition. He'd lost two brothers in quick succession just months earlier. Trisha thinks the stress of it affected his health. But when Trisha shared the news of her husband's death online, looking for some support... In amongst words of condolence, she began to receive a flood of more sinister messages. Apparently the combination of the words died suddenly coincided with some movie that was coming out about that time. And that's what maybe triggered some of it and, you know, got so many of them to constantly, oh, you know, the vaccine killed your husband, the vaccine killed your spouse. Somebody mentioned to go on to Google and go into the news section and then type in Died Suddenly. The film, called Died Suddenly, claims baselessly that people are suddenly dropping dead in large numbers and COVID vaccines are to blame. Now any sudden death announced on social media, no matter the cause, can be used as evidence for this conspiracy theory. When you see people attacking your healthcare decisions and how you take care of your family in your own home and telling you that that's responsible for killing your spouse while you already feel like crap because you didn't recognize the signs of a heart attack. It, it puts you down some dark holes after a while, it does. Boy, they really, really play on the heartstrings of people, don't they? They were absolutely laying on that on incredibly thickly, were they not? All, all of the right sound bites were used there. The music, you, everything in the background. Yeah, it's a science. It's an absolute science, and it's being employed against us. That woman didn't deserve to lose her husband, not at all. But what she does deserve is to have her eyes opened. But who knows? Maybe her eyes have been opened, but she's been given suitable inducements to make the propaganda video that we've just listened to. So let me just say say this. Here in the UK, there was the movement to stop uh, the mandated vaccination of the NHS staff. And that worked. That, you know, that, that mandate was stopped. However, around about 86% in the whole country had the first jab and about 82% had the second jab. But the take-up, particularly locally here, the figures near where I live, which have been available, less than 1% of people took the boosters. And it was really when the boosters kicked in that the died suddenlies really started to happen. Ned's got much more research on that, but we were talking about it today. But the funny thing is, whilst NHS staff, they tried to mandate it, the armed forces was mandated. You just rolled your sleeve up and uh, did what you were told. But the police force, who were enforcing all the ridiculous public interaction, social distancing restrictions, 
were not mandated and it was never even mentioned that the police force should be mandatory. You know why that is. You know why that is. Because if they started doing that, then the people that were mandating that would lose their protection. Yeah. And that is exactly why. I mean, why has successive governments, but mostly the Tories, unfortunately, reduced and reduced the number of police on on the streets? And then when Bojo blundered his way into the the big job, recruited an extra 20,000 police officers. It's so that they can get malleable, uh, impressionable, indoctrinated, told what to think, not how to think types into the blue uniforms. And and that's that's where we are. So I would imagine many of them just went and got vaccinated anyway, because, again, they're not the sort of people who will look any further than ITV News at 10 or the BBC Evening News for for what they should believe. And yeah, it's it's very sad for Mrs. Hickman and for the benefit of the of the listener, the gentleman's grave appeared to be in a military cemetery. That's what that, it looked that, like, yeah. To, that did look like a military cemetery. So he'd obviously served his country at some point and an awful lot of people who have served their country and are serving their country have a certain mindset and that mindset is you've got to trust what the big man says don't fight the white follow procedures it's all about conformity and i've been a military man for a a big chunk of my life and i've worked within defense even longer as a civilian and i still have trouble you know every now and again thinking that everything seems to be set against us so I'm, I'm in a constant turmoil of my indoctrination as a serviceman and my disgust and hatred as someone who is awake and has actually seen through the matrix of propaganda that we're being exposed to. It is difficult, I have to say, when you when you first get exposed to something that's different outside of the uh, what you believe is is the norm. So you brought up into a system, and I'm actually reading a story about that right now of a uh, guy that was actually it's it's this book here. I was actually I was mentioning it on uh, on yesterday's podcast. It's uh, We Will Bury You by Jan Senya. He's the uh, highest ranking Communist Party member to ever defect to us. And the system itself, the the communist system, when it came in into Czechoslovakia, it brought him and his family out of poverty. Now, that's not forgiving what the system is. It's just simply saying that he was a young kid and he had more education than anybody else in the little village that he lived in. And that system came to power and it allowed him through the education system to advance himself within it. And he didn't realize the ill-gotten gains and the, uh, uh, the, the criminality and the backstabbing and the killing and the murder and the treachery and everything behind it. Again, that's not forgiving it. You know, he was just ignorant to it. But it's almost the same way. I'm not not saying that, you know, that that's exactly, you know, step for step on, on how it works. But essentially, it's the same thing. You're brought up into a system that gives you a, a very good life. It gives you, you know, comfort. It gives you uh, the ability to explore different options for your future uh, if you're willing to take them. And so you just don't question anything. You don't question whether something is right or wrong because you're in the system to not question things. So I get where both ends of that are coming from. Would, would you say that's an accurate assessment? It, it is, but connected to it, maybe a little bit tenuously, is, is some thoughts that were going through my head earlier today. Um, I spend far too much time talking with Ned and we always get into deep discussions, uh, the occasional argument. But if you look at the first communist revolution was in uh, in Russia and, and spread out from there, the first section of society they had to get rid of were intellectuals. They saw them, you know, the, the, the regime saw them as a threat because they were the sort of people who would speak out against it, who could see through the flaws in the, or see the flaws in the whole plan. So they were, they were, bumped off or or bundled off to the gulags of Siberia. Then you look at the Cultural Revolution in China and the way that spread in through the rest of Southeast Asia, the Khmer Rouge, the uh, North Vietnamese, North Koreans, they all killed their middle classes and their intellectuals 
because what they still needed were farmers, mechanics, plumbers, builders, all of the manufacturing and produce producing part of the population. They needed them intact. That's not the same anymore with this with this current thing that's happening. They don't need that many, you know, working class people. So many things are automated. All of the manufacturing of the world has moved out of Western industrialized nations into the Far East, into other parts of the world where labor's cheap. But the other reason why they don't need to kill their middle classes and their intellectuals is because something we've all agreed with, even before you started the research deeper into uh, the Soviet Union and the way in which the, uh, the Cold War never ended, is that our intellectuals, our middle class, have been subverted and are conformant. You know, they, they conform to what this plan requires. The virtue signaling from the eco-warriors, the dog whistle to the left, anyone who says our country's full is a racist and a Nazi, anyone who, who is against uncontrolled immigration is, is a goose-stepping fascist. All of these things are, are already um, indoctrinated in them and they think they have to conform to a certain type of behaviour and response. So they don't need, you know, the, the evil powers that be, and we know who they are, we've named them several times. They keep changing slightly, but I think they're roughly the same people. They don't need to bump them off because they're already completely brainwashed. And they're in the process in a lot of these countries of passing these uh, these new hate speech laws. Uh, I think chief among which who are moving full speed ahead on this are the people of Ireland. Uh, and that's not to be confused with Northern Ireland. I'm talking about Southern Ireland, the Republic of Southern Ireland. This is an individual in their houses of parliament talking about what they're going to do in that country, or at least what they're proposing. And don't think for a minute, this is not coming to all of our countries. Freedom of speech is ultimately what guarantees freedom of thought, and it's an essential reality in the seeking of truth. And misinformation may occlude truth and make it hard to identify, and thus require antidotes. That is true. But placing limitations on freedom of speech by means of a hate bill has the power to bury truth altogether. The hate speech elements of the hate bill do not take full cognizance of the importance of free expression. And I believe they will help create a climate whereby good people, ordinary people, will be curtailed in their speech and democratic actions and in the public expression of their views because they will not be told the limits imposed by an imprecise law that doesn't even define what it means by hate. And currently we have the Gardaí describing hate-related incidents as no any non-crime incident which is perceived by any person in whole or in part to be motivated by hostility or prejudice based on actual or perceived age, disability, etc. Is this the future direction of our criminal law, coupled with a new definition of gender which has never been discussed in these houses? Who knows where this bill can lead in terms of the natural and wrongful, sorry, the wrongful suppression of people's natural right to engage in the exchange of ideas. And we have this strange situation in Ireland where this hate bill is the talk of the international town square with people like Jordan Peterson and as well known as Elon Musk commenting on our hate legislation. But there hasn't been a word about it hardly in our own media. And this silencing is envisaged by the bill seems to be what's going on already. So what I say to you, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I say backsliding indeed. That's my point. We need to look at the moat in our own eye just as much as we point to other countries about their falling back on human rights. Because in the end, democracy must be more than an imposition of cultural power. In 2013, the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights gave a defense of freedom of expression. And I will finish with this. Pointing to the realization of that right, enabling vibrant, multifaceted public interest debate, giving voice to different perspectives and viewpoints. Let us learn how to do that again, because this dimension of our democratic tradition is wilting away because we seem to have forgotten that what fundamental human rights are, and they are fundamental, and they involve respect for other people's points of view. Thank you. Yeah, well said, that man. I was trying to work his accent out. It's not, I don't think it's a Dublin accent. He, he might be from Cork because they have, they do have a peculiar accent, but everything he said was, was absolutely great. However, 
what I found most funny is that he was using a speech given by a high-ranking UN official in the defense of free speech when the United Nations is the, at the moment, seems to be the, the strong arm of the whole Great Reset movement. I don't know how you feel about that, Bruce, but I, I found it quite, I think it is irony. I always have to make the careful choice of, of using that word because obviously everything in that song by Alanis Morissette was just bad luck and not irony, but I think that was ironic. I appreciate that for the benefit of the listener, Bruce is having a slight giggle. Um, I'm going to stop talking now and let Bruce say something. Uh, he's right. I agree with him. Um, in fact, I, I don't recall ever hearing of anything going on in Ireland as far as politics are concerned until this came up. And as he pointed out, rightly so, this has made the world stage and we've had some fairly well-known individuals comment on it and pointing out how absurd this bill is. And I, I actually just looked into it here the other day after hearing about it and I was like, how is this even there? There is no found like it, the, the way it's worded. It's anything that's hate speech. And what's defined as hate speech? Well, there is no definition. It's just based upon the fact, as he pointed out, it's based upon the fact that someone else was offended by it. So thus it is hate speech. That That's all it is. Yeah. Part of the phrase he used there that was based in prejudice. How do you define prejudging someone? All of us have got a lived experience. I've lived in foreign countries. I've traveled the world widely. And my opinions are based on experience. They're not a prejudging of anyone. I've got a rather amusing story, but we will have to clear it with Johnny just to make sure that we don't break um, our terms of use or terms of service or, or whatever it is before I say it, because the last thing I want is for us to get shut down, cancelled and banned for hate speech. But the story itself, which I'm hope, hopefully I'll, I'll be uh, about to recite shortly, is very amusing and it demonstrates exactly how this kind of legislation against inverted commas, hate speech, simply doesn't work. It is impossible to police. What can happen is that people will get persecuted if the finger's pointed at them, if their face doesn't fit, if they're not conforming, if they've got a strong opinion, then they will get a hate speech charge levied against them. Which I think is the entire goal. That's the entire intention is to bludgeon those of us that do not conform, um, that want to think for ourselves to bludgeon us into following whatever edict or rule that they put out there. They can make some argument that um, it's hate speech to go against, at, as as we've talked about before on the podcast many times, and we just brought up earlier, um, illegals coming into the country, right? Well, that's hate speech because you're, you're, you're talking against a human being. You're calling a human being an alien or, or an illegal. Human beings are not illegal or whatever argument that they can make. Well, they, that's they, a common they, one here. They may not be illegal, but when they cross a border without a passport or a visa under international law, they are committing an illegal act. The only way in which that illegal act can be mitigated is if they are genuine refugees and seeking asylum because they are in danger of being killed in their own country. Uh, and this is the excuse that, that people are using to remain in the country when they should be put on the next boat, aircraft, train, even back to whence they came. I've seen video after video recently of people in Ireland, uh, Southern Ireland, uh, the Republic of Ireland, just a bit for absolute clarity, where they have a, a huge problem with illegal migrants. They are getting very agitated about it. And a group of migrants, illegal aliens, illegal immigrants, whatever, however you'd like to refer to them, maybe people who have crossed a border illegally, shall we just say that. But they're talking to the guy's camera as he's asking them questions, and they're just saying the best way is when you get there, just tear your passport up, ditch your passport, because then they have to treat you differently. If you have a passport, you can be deported. If you don't have a passport with you, you can 
claim asylum. So I'm going to attempt to tell this story now, and Johnny may even bleep me, or he he may even cut it all together. So if the very funny joke, which I'm about to tell you, doesn't make it to the final cut, I do apologise. But it does indicate how you cannot call someone's opinion of someone else prejudice because there's always a background to it. The guy who told this was an Indian comedian and he was talking about walking through London with his father. And uh, as they're walking through a street in London, a couple of skinheads, typical right-wing thug types, walk towards them, spit on the floor in front of them, and one of them says, I f***ing hate And his dad replied, me too, bastards. Because there is there is this long-term dislike between two countries that are effectively on a war footing against each other all the time. They were the same country until the partition. Uh, and, you know, I did an accent. Maybe that's offensive. I don't know. But it was an Indian comedian telling this story. And that's, that's not necessarily prejudging. That is just how that individual feels about another country. Uh, and it comes from experience. It comes from what, I mean, you know, it's taken a long time for the UK to accept that Germany is no longer our enemy, as in the German people, because of two world wars. That's normally followed by one World Cup, but we are so bad at football these days, it's hardly worth mentioning. Uh, the French aren't your enemy anymore either, are they? Or are they just eternal? That is eternal. That's that's because most of France still belongs to us. I mean, part of it's even called Brittany, for goodness sake. And they actually, the Brittany, the people in Brittany speak a language that is more akin to Welsh than it is to French. So, you know, uh, and, and of course, the whole EU thing, the EU set Britain and France against each other. We're an agricultural country. We grow stuff. We, we make produce. And to take advantage of the whole setup within the the European Union, we should have been allowed to export our stuff just the same as France exported to us. I'd also like to add in there, I'm sure that you're not forgetting, you're just, you haven't gotten to it yet, but uh, your fisheries, you're expert fishermen. We are. Well, we were until, were, yes. until all our quotas were sold off, just the same as the milk quotas were sold to German farmers. But the French, and I, I actually love them for this, will protest and they'll protest or used to protest very forcibly. They would basically stop our produce getting to its intended market, but still the cheese and the wine was still flowing in our direction across the channel. But our lamb, it got burnt in the docks. So that's one of the reasons why I'm not particularly fond of the French, but I do have a certain begrudging respect for the way in which they will protest and stand up for their rights. And I'm fully behind this, the current protest, which is all about the pension age being raised. But then again, the whole of Europe is going to have to raise its pension age because you haven't got the UK's full £350 million per week going into the EU to pay Wouldn't those matter. pensions with. Wouldn't matter. I, I don't think that's a that's a drop in the bucket considering how much the EU actually just squanders on ridiculous nonsensical projects. Well, of course, but it, it's just an excuse. We're not getting the UK's money anymore, so we're going to put your pensions up. I've seen how people live in Spain, within the south of France, within other parts of 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 the EU, and. I've said it before, their standard of living is much, much higher than the UK's. And that's largely down to the massive subsidies paid out by the European Commission to something like three quarters of its members. Three quarters of the membership of the EU pay less in than they get out. That's a wealth transfer. And from the, the richer countries. Yeah. So you ended up with the, the northern European countries that are actually prosperous and industrious and full of agricultural, they, they end up subsidizing the Southern European countries. And, and that is exactly what's happened. I mean, if you get given lemons, make lemonade. So if you've got beautiful beaches, beautiful mount, mountainous scenery, nice little sleepy villages such as Greece, yeah, base your industry on, on tourism. Yes, you, you're never going to be an industrial nation because you don't make anything that 
people are going to want to buy at that scale, but they are going to want to come and visit your country. And you cut your, your cloth according to your pocket. But that never happened with Greece. They they got so far into debt because of trying to compete with more developed parts of Europe that they, they just fell into that pit and got put into more and more debt. Well, I think so, a lot of that also had to do with the, the single currency, the euro, being implemented in countries like Greece where it was not able to compete. That that's, that's asking the Greek economy to be the German economy and vice versa. It just doesn't work. No. And as I say, if you get given lemons, make lemonade. If you've got good natural resources, plenty of coal, iron ore, make cars, make, you know, products that that you can sell around the world. And yeah, there, there's, there should be a certain amount of, of charity. And that's what it is. That's what the EU mainly was from the UK. It was charitable donation from the UK to pay for the rest of Europe's lifestyle. We know that, we, I tell you what, we've, we've gone through a few subjects in the last few minutes. I don't know if you, if you want to bring it round to Yeah, I would like to bring it back to, um, to a group that you admire so much. I, I would like to, to bring it back full circle here to the, um, uh, the return of Extinction Rebellion on the streets of London over the past weekend, because we're back now. We, we've we've had some backlash and we need a distraction. So Extinction Rebellion have made their triumphant return into the city of London to stop traffic and to do whatever it is they're doing here. Yeah, it's a bunch of subverted middle class idiots Dressed in red, yeah, I don't know. I suppose what would you call that? Medieval? Well, I don't know. Quai, what the, it's, quasi, it looks like something at a at a Satan worshiping event or something. I don't know. Well, yeah, it, it's quasi religious. Stood there in in a position of prayer with their palms up and hands out in front of them. Yeah, large amounts of so what. In the words of Shania Twain, they don't impress me much. They don't impress you? Not at all. Not at all. No. Well, that's no, a shame. I've got better costumes than that, and me dressing up. That books. is it. That is a shame. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply disturbed. And you know what? Your new king is not going to be happy about that either. Do you know why? Because, well, he's got himself a nice little video that's been put out now about the things that we are supposed to care about. Now, you're not supposed to think. You're not supposed to think about any of this. You're supposed to judge this based off of your emotional reactions, just like that piece from the BBC earlier. Pay very close attention to what King Charles is going to tell you all about. We have an incredible opportunity to create entirely new sustainable industries, investing in nature as the true engine of our economy. The current global crisis has disrupted every aspect of our lives, but it has also presented us with an extraordinary opportunity, a chance to reset and accelerate efforts to improve the state of our world. Changing our current trajectory will require bold and imaginative action, together with determination and decisive leadership. In order to secure our future and to prosper, we need to evolve our economic model, putting people and planet at the heart of global value creation. If there is one critical lesson we have to learn from this crisis, we need to put nature at the heart of how we operate. We are on the verge of catalytic breakthroughs that will alter our view of what is possible and profitable within the framework of a sustainable future. We need nothing short of a paradigm shift, one that inspires action at revolutionary levels and pace. We simply cannot waste any more time. The only limit is our willingness to act. And the time to act is now. And they end with the nice circular symbol there of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals from the United Nations. Yeah, and the three feathers of the Prince of Wales above it. Nah, the thing is, the 17 Sustainable Development Goals are only achievable if they thin most of us out. 
if they bump us off. We are the carbon they want to get rid of, you know. And I know you're enjoying this, you know, getting me, the stalwart Brit patriot, to speak out against his monarch. But Charles Windsor is and always has been a tree-hugging Fruit Loop. And that's a simple fact. He, as I've said before, thinks he's making a difference. All that talk about resolute hard work and, you know, firm leadership and, and all the other bollocks. Revolutionary that action. That sounds like something yeah. that we all know, doesn't it? That sounds like yeah, well, something that, that, that right out the... of the Communist Manifesto. <laughs> he's not going to do any of that. He's not going to roll up his sleeves, is he? He's not going no. to, you know, clean up uh, an area of forest and, and, and make it all nice and, and what have you. The sustainable development goals don't work. They're not in line with nature uh, at all. They're not harnessing nature as its engine. In fact, what they're doing is they're moving industry into areas that have been otherwise quite pristine and green. You look at what's happening with, you know, the deforestation in South America, in the, the northern Amazon region. That's all to make way for more industry. Then you look at the parts of China that they've just built brand new cities, bits of the Arabian desert, which is its very own special ecosystem, just turned into an extra D Dubai, like Dubai has grown a tumour on its side. The excuse was that it was for Expo 2020, which of course didn't actually happen in 2020 because of COVID. So you've got another city built there in what was otherwise fairly pristine desert. I mean, I travelled the deserts wild, wild, widely while I was out there, and I didn't see any real sign uh, of of oil leaks and pollution or anything like that. Those dunes are pretty pristine, and they are their own ecosystem. Wildlife does cover every square inch of unbuilt-upon land in the world and, and the seas. So, no, Charles, nature is not the engine of this progress. What is the engine of this progress, if you can call it progress, is the greed of some, the narcissism, and the absolute ambivalence to the rest of the human race. You know, I'm, I'm curious the way you, uh, you, were, you were describing that there in the, uh, in the desert. You spent some time in Saudi, yeah? A little while, yeah. Yeah. Now they seem to be at least on the surface. I don't. I don't think that they actually subscribe to this. I don't think anybody in the in the royal family or anybody out there actually subscribes to this nonsense. But they have to do it for the sake of keeping with the agenda and everything else that that goes on in the world today. All right. So keeping that in mind, have you heard of this project that they want to do in Saudi called the Line? Have you heard of this? The the Walled City. The Walled City. Yes. Well, when I was there, which was now maybe four years ago. They were building and building in the in the smaller cities. They were just getting bigger and more glass and metal and building a railway line as well. And now railways don't work terribly well in the desert, but they were building a railway line all the way from Riyadh to the causeway to get across to Bahrain. And of course, <laughs> that's part of the hypocrisy of Saudi. Apparently... God can't see across the causeway because as soon as they get across the causeway, all the bars and hotels uh, and restaurants serving alcohol are full of Saudi nationals having a great time from a, a country that's got a complete alcohol ban. So, no, I haven't heard about you haven't heard about city. this, right? So, Marty, I'd like to play this uh, this pl this little promo thing that they've got going on for uh, the line, right? That's what it's called. It's actually called the line, the walled city that they want to do. Now, keep in mind, they want to move the entirety of the Saudi Arabian population into this. Okay, so pick everyone up, scoop everyone up out of all the major cities, you know, everything, and and all of the you know countryside and everywhere else that are in Saudi, and place them all in this grand utopian idea. Take a listen to this. For too long, humanity has existed within dysfunctional and polluted cities that ignore nature. Now, a revolution in civilization is taking place. 
Imagine a traditional city and consolidating its footprint, designing to protect and enhance nature. The line will be home to 9 million residents and will be built with a footprint of just 34 square kilometers. And we are designing it to provide a healthier, more sustainable quality of life. The line's communities are organized in three dimensions. Residents have access to all their daily needs within five-minute walk neighborhoods. And the line's infrastructure makes it possible to travel end-to-end -end in 20 minutes with no need for cars, resulting in zero carbon emissions. By leveraging AI technology, services are autonomous, saving you time and effort. Designed by world-leading architects, the line is 500 meters tall, 200 meters wide, 170 kilometers long, and housed within an elegant mirror glass facade. Intelligent solutions create efficiency and year-round temperate microclimate with natural ventilation. Energy and water supplies are 100% renewable. The line is designed as a series of unique communities, offering a wealth of amenities, providing equitable views and immediate access to the surrounding nature. With 40% of the world accessible within six hours at the heart of the globe's key trade routes, a place for commerce and communities to thrive like nothing on earth seen before. The line, the city that delivers new wonders for the world. Who would you want to live there? Ad, well, I wouldn't be allowed to live there. And nor would you, and nor would Bruce, and nor would anybody else. Who is that advert for? Why is it in English? Because the only people they would be housing in there would be Saudi nationals. And I think the population of Saudi is around about 22 million. So that construction there, the line was for 9 million people, I believe. 9 million, yeah. Yeah. Now, don't forget, Marty, you get That's equitable views. Bruce, actually, I can tell yeah, Bruce you, when, he, when he heard that, yeah, you get equitable views. Well, you know, maybe if you'd add one change around full speed, as we say in the, in the armed forces, every now and again. So you'd move from uh, a view of mountains one year and then move along to a view of the sea the next year and, and so on. You could because if if there, if it's all the same and all equitable, uh, do you believe that for a moment from Saudi princes? Where are the princes, no. Saudi princes live? They're not going to be in there. No. And the other 12 million current part of the, the Saudi population, they won't be needed anymore because Saudi won't be producing oil. And the businesses that support the oil industry won't be needed. So... That's 11 to 12 million people that will suddenly have to find somewhere else to be because they haven't become Saudi citizens because their setup doesn't allow for that. The same as in the UAE. If you can sustain yourself, if you're rich enough and can buy the visa every year, you can go and live in the UAE, no problem at all. You could live in Saudi. They do the same setup for you. But you can never become a citizen. So therefore, you would not be part of the line, which to some people, might look, you know, idyllic and, and utopian, but to my mind, it, it's a nightmare. Who how the boring hell would, would that be? It? Yeah, how boring would that be? Why, why would you want to live there? I mean, that's just, to me, that's just like any of these plastic cities, doesn't necessarily have to be that one, but just any of these like these 15 minute hell holes that they want to create. Who in the hell would want to live there? That's got to be dull and dreary and boring. And, and not to mention the fact it's questionable whether or not you'd even be able to live because let's be honest, you're going to have to take multiple jabs. You heard Tony Blair. You're going to have to take multiple jabs in order to keep your social credit high enough with your vaccine passport and your digital currency and everything else with your digital wallet in these cities. But so, going back to Gates's TED talk, if we do a real good job with vaccines, sexual health, and contraception, we can get that number down. Those are his exact words from his TED talk. The vaccines that they're pushing on people at the moment aren't to make you better. They're to help you toddle off a bit quicker. Side note, our local police force, because they feel they have to, have a Facebook page and they put up arrest, drugs bust, such and such, anti-social behaviour enforcement and they put up little videos. 
and they put one up the other day of a of a class A drugs bust. And I said, you know, well done. Really glad that you're um you're getting rid of the illegal drugs. Can you do Moderna, Pfizer, and AstraZeneca next? Because when the truth you gets out, uh, <laughs> I did, I did. When the truth gets out, you you know, I hope the whole UK's police forces or police services, as they must be called, are ready for the big job on the real criminals because the stuff that those bastards are pushing is far more dangerous than a than a bit of weed or speed. But you know, I I, I didn't. I got a few likes from other people who, who might have had a snigger, but I've had no response from the actual uh, officer that runs their social media, whereas I have had in the past. So, um, yeah, where was I going with that? I've got no clue. You've put me on so many different tracks. I definitely couldn't live in a line because I am asymmetrical. I'm going off at all angles. Well, it has been a, uh, a fascinating conversation. We can go a few minutes early, barring anything else. Do you have anything else you want to bring up? Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to leave the listener with before uh, before you leave for the week? Keeping in mind, uh, you did tell us in prep that you will not be here at the end of the week next week. You will be here the day before the end of the week next week. So the listeners yeah. will get a chance to hear you a day early. Well, I'm, I'm sure they can all do without me if necessary. But um, yeah, I, I can't do without getting things off my chest once a week. So yeah, I'll be here a day early. Yeah, it has been an interesting conversation tonight. I I know I've talked a lot, but that's why I you're spend here. all we I want spend you to a talk lot of my time by we, myself. I I don't we, we I don't talk get all the time. Talk all day. We talk all week. <laughs> you know, me especially. And you know what? The the listeners were happy to hear Bruce rant earlier in the week. He was really taken off on one a couple of days ago. Tomorrow it's Ned's turn. So yeah, he's primed and ready. Uh, he found out some stuff today while we were chatting on comms. And yeah, I'm pretty sure either he may not be ready with that, but he's, he's got lots of stuff lined up. Very good. Very good. We're looking forward to it. Final thoughts for the listener for the week, Marty? Words of wisdom. For all the British listeners, we're, we're going through a round of local elections at the moment. Um, of course, you've got to take photo ID, which I don't have a problem with. I've got a driving license. I've got a passport. When you do go, try and vote for an independent, please. Even if it, it's the independent, I want a new duck pond party, do that. Don't vote for the major parties because they are all as corrupt as each other and they have all sold out to the World Economic Forum. So use your vote wisely. Don't waste it. If when I go to vote uh, in the next few days, there isn't an independent to vote for, I'm afraid I'll just be spoiling my ballot. Well, Marty, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on, and we look forward to your return next week. Have a great weekend, my friend. And uh, is it next weekend that you're going to be uh, out dressed as a uh, as a Viking and and huddled yeah, around a, yeah. uh, a that's, fire? That's um, next weekend. We'll be live action role playing. There's another faction uh, of players uh, within the system. Shall we just say I've finally got my gang together? And there's going to be a bit of a uh, bit of a turf war going on, so I can't wait. But the main thing is campfire, sizzling steaks, bottle of bourbon, big bottle of diet coke, and a good sing song whilst dressed as a Viking. So remember, always be yourself, or if you can be a Viking, be a Viking. It's much better. It's well said, my friend. We will go ahead and call this one done. That'll be it for us today and this week. So I'd like to thank you, gentlemen, for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.